Welcome to The Burnout Show, a weekly conversation with special guests who generously share their burnout stories with us. We also chat with health and wellness experts on how to best navigate burnout when you're in the thick of it, as well as how to avoid it returning. And now here's your host, Jess Jones. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Burnout Show. Today's special guest is Mike Iamelli. Mike, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. We were just having a chat. You are based in Boston and I'm in Melbourne in Australia, so you're in summer right now and uh, it's definitely winter here. (laughs) (laughs) How are you finding it at the moment with everything that's going on? Yeah, you know, it's really nice that things here in the US, you know, the COVID situation was a little bit worse than in Australia, as you probably know. And so it's really nice that things are opening up and getting a little bit safer. And especially because it's summer, there's so much more outside to do. So it's been actually really nice. You know, I saw my grandmother for the first time since Christmas a few weeks ago, which was really nice. Oh, that would have been lovely and lovely for her, my doubt. So tell us a little bit about what you do and what led you down this path. Oh, this is a a question. Okay. So, um, (laughs) you know, what I do now, I'll start with that, is I help people to map their lived experiences and figure out what they naturally subconsciously do every time they're successful. And so people use that for a lot of things. You know, a lot of times people will use that to build a business or figure a brand and figure out what makes me compelling. You know, what is it that my friends resonate with that I can make a business that just feels like me? And that feels natural. I mean, people will use it for relationships, for sex and intimacy, for addiction, mental health, a whole bunch of different ways, children. It's really fun stuff. But you don't just fall into that, right? It's a really strange job to have. And um, how that came to be is I was successful pretty early in life. So I, um, I started a public relations agency when I was 22 years old with a bunch of executives. And we had a lot of celebrity clients. You know, I was very young, very successful. And I woke up one day a few years later in my mid-20s and I was vomiting blood. And as you can imagine, that was pretty scary. I had no idea what to think about this. I, you know, was going to different doctors and they didn't know what was wrong with me. And while all of this was going on, I was still trying to get into the office because I was a workaholic. And I one day realized I had to go to the bathroom and I went to go to the bathroom and I didn't make it in time. And I no longer had control of my bowels and I had an accident at work. I shit my pants at work, which was the most mortifying thing that had ever happened to me. I can imagine, yes. And I realized, you know, something is seriously wrong with me. Like I've been sick for weeks now. I'm afraid I'm going to die. It might be cancer. Like I didn't know what was going on. And so while this was going on and I was going to different doctors, I started trying radical therapies. I mean, anything anyone told me about acupuncture, Reiki, reflexology, energy work, like you name it, I was doing that. And so I'm trying to do all these different therapies here. And I had two roommates at the time. One had, um, it was in a relationship. And so she was never around. And the other one was a guy I knew from college loosely. And just by chance, this guy I knew from college was on his pharmacy residency. So he was around during the day. He knew the medical system. And he was able to drive me because I couldn't drive myself. Mm -hmm. He was able to cook dinner for me when I wasn't able to cook for myself. And about two months into him being my de facto caretaker, I realized I was developing feelings for him. And to give you some context, this was a little bit strange for me because I had never been with a man, to my conscious knowledge, never been interested in the man. Mm -hmm. And here I was having feelings for this man who was taking care of me. 
And, you know, they didn't necessarily feel sexual or even romantic, but they were feelings for sure. Mm. And I kind of thought, what do I do with this? And I think if it were any other time in my life, I probably would have brushed it under the rug and thought, who cares, whatever, move on. But I was doing all these things like writing handwritten letters to every member of my family, telling them everything I never said out loud. And so I was like, if I'm doing these radical therapies, I mean, blood, I'm vomiting blood, I can't stuff anything down. I just got to let it out. Yeah. And so I said, I'm going to speak up. And I said, you know, Garrett, one day I just said to him, I got the courage. I didn't know if he was going to punch me. I didn't know if he was going to want to like, you know, I didn't know what this was. Yeah. And I said to him, Garrett, I, um, I feel something. It doesn't necessarily feel romantic. And I don't know if this is like me afraid I'm going to die. And this is like a human within proximity, but I have to speak up about it. Yeah. And I'm so fortunate that Garrett is the most thoughtful person in the world. And so he said, okay, uh, this is shocking, but let me think about it. Let me sit with this. And so, you know, here I am condensing, you know, weeks or months into a few minutes here. So it was a little bit more dramatic than I'm saying, (laughs) but emails and conversations back and forth, we decided to try to make a relationship work. Mm-hmm. And we still, you know, dated women as we explored a relationship with one another. We spent a few years doing that, became exclusive. I remember one night he kissed a woman. I got jealous. I said, okay, something has changed here. So yeah. that, you know, we became exclusive and we were ready to tell our family. And while all this was going on, you know, I was vomiting blood. Like I knew mm-hmm. I need to leave my job. Something was wrong here. So I was starting to get better and I decided to give a year's notice at work. Now, for anybody listening, I never recommend you do that. A year's notice, notice, right? I was was an owner of this company. I thought, you know, this is the right thing to do. But it was a hellish year. I will just say that right now. And so I, you know, started going to different schools. I went to herbalism school, nutrition school, because I thought I really want to help people with burnout. And so I graduate. I am so excited to help all of the tech entrepreneurs of Boston to heal from their burnout by through herbalism. And about the same time this was happening, we decided to tell our family that we were together. So it just kind of all fell together. Most people were positive, not everybody, but they got there. We won't name names today. <laughs> and we, you know, I was this herbalist. And I have to be honest with you. I didn't love it. I wasn't making a lot of money. And I just thought, oh my God, Mike, what did you do? Like you left this great career. You're making all this money. What did you do? And so I thought, you know what? I want to write about burnout. I want to write about our definition of success because I was successful at a very young age. I was literally vomiting blood. I'm going to start a blog because people need to hear this message. And maybe that's the way I'm going to heal people, not herbalism, but through my writing. And about three months into writing this blog, it got a little bit popular a publisher reached out to me and said, can I give you a book deal? I was like, Wait, what? Does that oh. happen? <laughs> yeah, you're going to pay me to do what I'm already doing? Okay. okay. <laughs> so Right. So so I have this book deal now and I'm writing this book and the publisher is queer herself. And she said, you know, Mike, I think your love story is an important part of this book. It's got to come in here. I said, okay, okay. So I put it into the manuscript. I turn on the manuscript. And then I think, oh, shit. Like, I have to tell people in my life before it shows up on the shelves of Barnes & Noble. They can't find out there. So I said, okay, okay. I, You know, my family and close friends knew, but not wider people in my life. And I thought, this is fine. I'm just going to write about it. I'm a writer. I'll put it on my blog. A few people will find out about it. No big deal. This is great. 
So I write about this experience of being with Garrett. I put it out in my blog. I go to bed that night. I wake up the next morning and 100,000 people had shared it. Wow. I can't quite describe to you what it feels like to wake up to millions of people talking about your sex life, but it is a very overwhelming feeling. You know, I had phone calls from Huffington Post and NPR and uh, thousands, literally thousands of emails in my inbox. Wow. And it was a really overwhelming moment. And I was, again, just like burnt out and exhausted and all these opportunities were coming to me. And I was like, really, really just struggling to figure out who am I even. And the thing is, I couldn't even, you know, any client I wanted to approach or any media interview I wanted to do, they only want to talk about my relationship. No one cared about my work. No one cared about anything else. And it was this really overwhelming moment where I felt like I didn't have control of my own life. And so I thought, okay, Mike, you got to go back to the drawing board. Like I have this book deal. I have millions of people talking about me and no money and no business model. Like I don't even know what I'm doing with my life and I'm feeling burnt out but not working. Like it's crazy what's going on here. Mm. And so I said, all right, I became obsessed with this idea of life purpose. And I was like, okay, I've got to figure out my life purpose. Like what do these things even have in common? You know, herbalism and viral article and same sex relationship and vomiting blood and PR and branding. Like it doesn't even make sense. And I thought, okay, let me really sit. And you read enough of these purpose books, you pretty much hear the same stuff, right? Yeah. It's all, you know, figure out your passions, figure out your skills, figure out what the world needs, find that middle point. Yeah. So I, I'm sitting with this and I think, oh my gosh, it is so obvious. I meant to create a blogging course. I'm going to help people get book deals, but it's going to be deep and spiritual about finding your voice, knowing who you are, what lights you up and not being burnt out. And so I create this blogging course. And I knew it was my purpose. So I put every last dollar I had into this thing. Like I got the lighting kit, the microphone, (laughs) web designer, you know, you name it, business partner. I had it all. Thousands of dollars go into this thing. Put it out to the world and five people bought it. It was a colossal failure. I lost thousands of dollars. I'm in debt now. And I just think I'm done. I am so, I can't keep doing this. You know, I went for it. It wasn't like I kind of went for it. Like I had the viral article about my love life and I got a book deal and I was sick and I went for love. Like I really went for it and the world just does not want I have to offer. And I said, I'm going to go back to my PR company, beg them for a job at my own company. I don't know if I have a job at my own company and I'm done. And so it was such a devastating moment for me that I really wanted to flip the script. And so I decided to host what I called a failure celebration. And really, the idea was like, yeah, I'm a failure, but at least I did something to fail. At least I took a risk. That's got to be worth something in this world. And so to host my failure celebration, I had this little Facebook group and I went to some Facebook group I was a part of. And I was like, listen, I'm going to celebrate this and I'm going to give you the one thing I am still confident in, which is branding. I'm just going to give everybody free branding sessions, as many as can be. I can make you be successful and then I'm out of here. And so I had a system of branding I developed from way back when that just helped people condense kind of their message and their products and everything in a really concise way. And so I'm going, I think I did nine hours straight. I literally had to stop sessions to pee, but I was like, whatever, I'm giving it all away. Doing it. And I'm used to working with these, you know, kind of celebrities and tech billionaires and healthcare politicians. But the people I worked with that day, these were like artists and life coaches and psychics and writers. And so I'm doing these sessions with them and all six people I worked with that day said some variation to me of, Mike, this isn't branding at all. 
this just explains my entire life purpose. It answers all my questions. So I'm sitting there like, what the, f- I don't know, what? So I'm like, okay, okay. So I am exhausted at this point, but I spent two hours doing on me what I did on them because what do I have to lose at this point? And I came out with six words. And those six words are aligned, zany, free, unmistakable, successful, and vulnerable. And I know they may not mean much to you, but there was this moment of just like this click. And I was like, oh my God, I have never been that safe to be vulnerable with Garrett. Like I was with Garrett. And I have never felt, you know, I can see in PR why I had some of these things that were successful, but not fulfilled. And it just became clear that every moment in my life that really worked or was good or things worked out, I felt all these things or I shared all these things. I could see why the blogging course failed. And so I'm having this little epiphany here. And then I checked my email and one of the women I worked with that day emailed me and she said, hey, Mike, my friend wants to buy this. What do you call this thing? Do you sell these sessions? I was like, I mean, I'm quitting. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's branding. You're telling me it's life purpose. I'll call it sacred branding. I made up that term, slapped on. I charged a few hundred dollars and I had a client. I thought, Great. I'm not going to go back. I'm making money right now. And she told a few friends. I had another client the next day. And that was eight years ago now. And so, you know, the work has evolved in some tremendous ways. But what we're really looking at, what we're really understanding is that, you know, I've come to look at life purpose in a whole different way than I used to. You know, we talk about life purpose like it's something we can achieve. We'll say things like, oh, my purpose is to be a life coach. My purpose is to write a book. I always say that is so awesome. But here's the thing. If you can achieve it, that means you can fail it. And how the hell could you fail your purpose? That doesn't make sense. You can't fail your purpose. And furthermore, if you can achieve it, that implies you didn't have it at a certain point. So Mm -hmm. did you just not have a purpose as a baby? That doesn't make sense. Of course you did. You've had a purpose in every moment, regardless of what you achieve and fail, regardless if this relationship didn't work out or this business didn't work out. And it's the same thing over and over again. The one thing we had way back when we were a baby, before we ever worked, before we were ever burnt out, is we had sensitivities. Some babies are sensitive to freedom and they feel trapped in that swaddle and they want to break free. And those babies all throughout their lives are always sensitive to feeling trapped. They always want to free others and feel free themselves. And every moment of success feels like freedom to them. There are other babies that are sensitive to connection. And they love to look their moms in the eyes and they get really sad when they're left alone. And these babies are always building community through their lives. And these same themes show up over and over again. And what we started to track is that we could build everything in our life to feel like you're having coffee with a best friend. Because who is burnt out when you're having coffee with a best friend, right? Mm. I mean, hours are flying by. Genius is just spilling out of you. You are your most authentic self. And you don't have to try because you never have to try to be yourself. If you're trying, it means you're being somebody else. So you just get to be. And that I began to understand if I want to really help with burnout, if I want to help people build businesses that are really great or relationships that feel nourishing to them, they have to know who they are and what they're most sensitive to and where they naturally thrive and are naturally successful. And so that's how I stumbled into this work. I'm completely blown away and have about a thousand questions that I don't have time to ask. So, you know, I'll be hitting you up after this recording. Perfect. First of all, I guess... You went through a lot in, you know, seemingly, yes, a few years, but a pretty short amount of time to go through so much, to go through all of that self-discovery while you're also, 
incredibly sick, burnt out, you know, managing some massive clients, it sounds like, and have built this empire at, you know, in your early 20s. That's huge. First of all, how did you manage to set up shop in that way, in such an extravagant way at 22? Yeah. So <laughs> this could be a very long story, but I'll keep it as brief <laughs> as I can. You know, I was very fortunate. So I went to a college where we would do co-ops. So we would leave school for six months and work full time. My first co-op, not a very impressive job, but it was at a very big company. And my professor happened to be very high up in British uh, politics, one of the professors I had. And so it just so happened that at the time, Gordon Brown's advisor for half the year, Gordon Brown was prime minister at the time, worked in our office and he knew who I was. And through the series of connections, people thought I was important. I was not. I've made $12 an hour, but people thought I was important. And so for my second co-op, my second of these opportunities, I went out to San Francisco to a very large company, but it was a very small healthcare division. I knew nothing about it, but it seemed like a good opportunity. And it was right around the time that President Obama had signed ARA, um, the American Reinvestment and Recovery Act. And within that was um, making health technology a thing. And so nobody in this country is young and cheap enough to learn that because it's a whole big thing to learn. So I, $12 an hour, was young and cheap enough to learn it. Well, when, you know, a lot of people needed to know this, including the White House, you know, publicity and how to promote this, there were very few people who knew this. And so I got pulled onto that team. And so I was on this very small team getting to do some really cool things. And one of, I was still in college, I was 21 at the time. And then one of our, you know, the head of my department said, I'm going to start my own company and I want you to be a partner, Mike. We need those skills. And so I was still in college. I was working full-time, well going to school full-time. I graduated early, and that's how I ended up owning this company. No wonder you burnt out. What a, what a start <laughs> to your career. Yes. Yeah. yes. Okay, so secondly, you mentioned these six words that came to you. It was this part of the, the method that you created of, of you know, that it self-discovery, is. that purpose. Yeah. Yeah. So it takes me about two and a half hours to map somebody's Mm -hmm. sensitivities now. And what I'm really doing is I'm just listening to stories, right? I'm just, I mean, on your end, it doesn't feel like I'm doing much of anything. We're just having a conversation. On my end, I'm doing a whole bunch of crazy things on a whiteboard. Thank God my handwriting is illegible. So you can't (laughs) tell what I'm doing. But what I'm really doing is I'm just mapping emotional patterns. I'm understanding Mm -hmm. what's happening in your life, in your trauma, in your happiness, in your whatever. It's going to feel like we're laughing and hanging out. Then what I will do is based on what I've gathered, I get a lot of information, I'll guide you through three separate visualizations. I'm specifically looking for certain things. I want to make sure that you feel it. It can't be intellectual. When I get your body to feel it, people will often cry. They will have an emotional reaction. I'll then just spit back the words they already told me. And I want to make sure those words match the feeling they're feeling. We now, and I'm, I'm happy to give away all my secrets, we now have about 100 words that will perfectly describe what purpose feels like to you, what fulfillment mm-hmm. feels like to you, and I ensure that they feel that. We then systematically compact those words, and we play a bunch of games, so it feels fun. But what I'm really doing is I'm understanding, okay, if you felt liberated, would you automatically feel free? If that's true, we don't need free. And I'm mapping the words within one another. So when we get to five or six words, people often say, why would you pay him all that money and spend two and a half hours for five or six words? I don't care if your words are Sally, Bob, and Jim. I want to know that these five or six words articulate your entire life purpose, every moment of trauma, why you were burnt out, why you felt fulfilled, why this was good more than anything. That's all I care about. Mm, I find this incredibly interesting and when you clicked your fingers before after having that you know describing the epiphany you had and you had those 
six words come to you, I actually got goosebumps. And so I'm completely, completely under your spell and convinced. <laughs> it sounds amazing. So hopefully you're doing some words on the whiteboard while we chat. Uh, <laughs> I just, I think this is incredible work and um, obviously fulfilling for you because you're getting to deliver these, you know, big realizations to people and these these big ideas of what their life could be as well. And, you know, not just what their life can be, but thank you for saying that, but also what their life is. You know, mm. everybody, I don't care who you are, who you're listening, people try to convince me all the time, Mike, I have no success in my life. Absolutely none. And that is crap. I don't care. Maybe your business isn't successful, but you have a successful friendship, a successful yeah. relationship. Somewhere in your life, there is success. We can track that. You know, people, we humans, what we're really, really bad at is taking something from one context and realizing it's the same in another. And so we're like, like, oh, there's no way that what makes me so happy in my relationship would ever work in my business. And I was like, what do you mean? That's literally right now. I'll give you all of my secrets. What makes me compelling is my deep vulnerability and my zaniness and my weirdness and my unmistakability and my commitment to help people be successful. I know that. I will use those words over and over again in this interview. Mm-hmm. I will tell you and purposely show it because it's really easy for you. And it's what you're already doing in your relationship without realizing it. You know, my relationship with Garrett is built on intense vulnerability. It's built on kind of being zany and thinking outside the box and trying new things things and experimenting. Every moment of success my life has ever had has included those things. And when we consciously know that, then yeah, we get to build really great containers, websites and social media and interviews and business offerings that just feel like us. And here's the cool thing. We become way more compelling, but we try less because you never have to try to be yourself. If you're trying, it means you're being somebody else. Right. That's Uh, all you're doing. I love it. It sounds so simple when you put it that way. Yeah. Yes. Absolute magic. Awesome. All right. So, Mike, what did you want to be when you were growing up? Oh, God. So many things. But a writer. I've always loved writing and creating worlds and creating stories. And I think I'm obsessed with the way that language can articulate emotion and energy. Mm. And I think that's why I do the work I'm doing. Because again, I don't care if your words are Sally, Bob, and Jim. I want to find the exact words that help articulate all of the experience of your life and your purpose. Perfect. Love it. How do you now take care of yourself? Do you have, you know, what does your downtime look like? How do you manage overwhelm if you start to feel it creeping in again? Oh, yes. I'm a very sensitive person. So don't let me fool you. I get overwhelmed all the time. But you know, I think for me, I've realized that there are a few things I need in my life. I was never, ever, ever a morning person. I used to wake up at 8am every day. Uh, I have had a lot of digestive issues. I got really sick. And I woke up one day and said, enough is enough. I'm mm-hmm. getting up at 530. And that was about three years ago. I have not missed, I've hardly missed a day getting up at 5.30. And I now exercise and meditate and journal. Um, so that's been really non-negotiable. Not for the physical aspect, sure, but the mental health. That's really yes. what it's about for me. I've got, I wish I could show you right now, a zany home, right? Talk about zany. I've got a <laughs> bathtub in the middle of the living room over there. So I have been known to take some jacuzzi bath. Oh, uh, that sounds amazing. Yep. I love that. Yep. So that is really important to me, you know, and really, I think for me, it's, I used to think of self-care as something separate that I had to do. 
And I started to realize, well, wait a minute, is me not eating gluten self-care? Is that just self-acceptance? Like, where does the line become? And I realized I want all of my life to just feel like I'm caring for myself. It's not something separate I do. I want the clients I work with to be self-care. I want the work I do to be self-care. I want spending time with my family or saying no to plans. Oh my God, that was a radical idea for me. But saying no to plans. Right. Boundaries is self-care. And I think for me, it's being an integrated person and really just doing what feels natural and good to me and realizing that I don't have to come last. I can come first because I'm the only person who knows my standards and can control myself. So I'm the only one I can control in the world. Absolutely. So good. So much gold right there because it does take some people a lot of time to realize the importance of boundaries and that it is actually okay to say no. And we talk about it a lot on this show because sometimes you have to relearn those lessons as well. You know, you can find yourself slipping back mm-hmm. and oh, taking on a little bit more, saying yes, mm-hmm. saying you're not wanting to let people down. And that's a big one, I think, that guilt around not wanting to let someone down. But yeah, yeah the more we can understand the importance of setting those boundaries and, and understanding that's a good thing for ourselves as well. Yeah, the better. And for other people, you know, we're yeah. able to show up more fully for them. We're able to be in more loving relationships. Any relationships I've had that are dependent on me overgiving are not empowering relationships. Mm, It took me a long time to really understand that. And, you know, I think the underpinning that we don't talk about enough with all this is self-worth. You know, as Mm. we love ourselves more, we want to take good care of ourselves. And so we start to say, hey, wait a minute, my needs are just as important as this person. And if I am not feeling great right now, I can speak up and I can say something or I can say no, or I can go care for myself. And that's okay. Absolutely. That's so good. Mike, what are you most excited about in your life right now? Oh, everything. Um, yeah, I knew you were going to say be that. Out more and see people and, you know, all this great stuff. You know, uh, one thing uh, we've been exploring more and more and more working with children with this work, and it just fascinates and excites me. Um, I have one short story, which is that a few years ago, I started experimenting with my niece, who was six at the time. And we did 20 minutes. I could not get her to sit for two and a half hours. So I had to figure out how to do in 20 (laughs) minutes. And yeah, one of her sensitivities was the word quiet. I thought, okay, interesting, whatever. I do this work a lot. So it doesn't, I don't think of it that much. Well, anyway, about a month later, my mom called me and said, you will never believe the miracle that happened today. So, okay, well, what happened? And she said, my niece was in kindergarten and a little girl was bullying her. And saying, you know, you're shy and you're awkward and something's wrong with you. And she turned around and said, no, actually, my uncle told me I'm quiet. That's one of my superpowers. It's what makes me so special. And it's okay. You have a superpower too. If you just called my uncle, he would tell you your superpower. (laughs) And I thought, you know, how miraculous that not only was she standing up to this bully and feeling good about herself, but she was holding space for this bully and helping support this bully. It was amazing. What an so impact you've me. had on her. Yeah, that's awesome. I love that. Um, what's something you're most proud of that you've done? <sighs> yeah, there's a lot of things that I'm proud of, but I think it's proposing to my husband. That is a crazy, crazy, crazy story. I wish we had time for it. We don't. In Italy, rainstorms, mist trains, oh. peeing pants, like so many crazy <laughs> things. Everything that could have went wrong went wrong, and it just made me realize, you know, I thought I have one shot at this and I blew it. It took me four years to plan. And when we started working together as a team in the chaos, I realized I don't just have one shot at this. Mm -hmm. I have a million shots at this because every day for the rest of my life, I just wake up 
I ask myself if I'm still game to do this and I ask him to love me. It was just one of those days. Oh, you're getting me all emotional. That just sounds amazing. And it sounds like something out of a movie, that actual <laughs> potential. Uh, there were, yes, story. there were parts of it that I did not believe were real. Oh, oh, it was gosh. horrifying. You might need another book, I think. <laughs> <laughs> might be time. <laughs> what are you most grateful for in your life right now? Mm, lots of things, but I'll say what's coming up first, which is my two mm. dogs. I really yeah. love them, and they're the cutest things in the world. Oh, hello. And finally, Mike, what's one piece of advice? And I'm sure you'll have a few, so I'm happy if you wanted to shout a couple of tips, but I generally ask our guests, what's one piece of advice you'd share with someone who's listening today, who's going through burnout themselves or close to it? I know I may seem vivacious today and you may not believe this, but I was probably in a worse spot than you. In fact, we know I was because I was vomiting blood. I was shitting my pants at work. I was in a horrible situation in my life, you know, I I didn't believe a few things. I didn't believe that it was possible for me to have a life that felt like me and felt easeful in some way. I'm not saying it's effortless completely, right? Mm. But there's something about it that just feels like me, that feels natural. And I really didn't believe that people in general could love the real full me, whether that were a romantic partner, whether that were clients, whether that like that, if I were just showing up and being myself, that people would like it. Mm -hmm. I really, really did not believe any of that were true. And so if anyone is listening and feeling any of those things, I want to tell you that I hope that some of my story has helped you to think a little bit differently. And I mean this with every fiber of my being, you never have to try to be yourself. If you're trying, it means you're being somebody else. And there is nobody in the world like you. I mean, if we don't get your wisdom, we lose critical wisdom. We will never, ever, ever get back. Nobody has your lived experiences. Nobody has what you have. And that's why I say I map people's lived experiences to figure out their purpose and brand and what they do when they're successful. Because the one thing you are the absolute expert on the world is your experiences. And so you are you and we need that. Amazing. What a beautiful way to end the interview. Mike, thank you so much for your time today. It's been an absolute joy speaking to you. It's been such a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks very much. Take care. Well, I hope you thoroughly enjoyed today's chat with Mike Iamelli as much as I did. If you are looking for some support with managing or avoiding burnout, the Breaking Up with Burnout mini course is available now. You'll get access to three modules that cover life, work, and burnout, which you can move through at your own pace. Head to the link in our show notes to find out more or head to theburnoutclub.com slash breakingupwithburnout. Bye for now. Thanks for joining us. If you're suffering from burnout or want some tips on how to avoid it, join our Facebook group, The Burnout Club Community. If you've gotten something out of today's episode, we'd love your review. Simply click the link in the show notes to share your thoughts. Until next time, go gently.